My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. Seems some folks have a thirst for knowledge that cannot be quenched. A case in point, our own Jamie Talbot, who earned himself an associate's degree in accounting from Heinz Community College. But this high accomplishment, it wasn't enough for him, see? So he's got his eye on a four-year Bachelor of Arts diploma. Can't figure out what benefit he'll derive from packing all that book learning into his skull, but he says it'll jumpstart his career... Sounds to me like he's planning to bolt our little town for a city like Memphis or Jackson. But I ain't his daddy, so far be it for me to advise him on the evils of urban life. Anyway, he started taking courses at the University of Southern Mississippi. Well, not exactly at the school. They're what you call online, meaning he sits at home and they bring the knowledge to him through that little screen on his computer. Anyway, I ran into him at Zeb's Barbershop last week, and he was all full of these courses he's taken, chatting a mile a minute about business administration and finance classes and how they'll be putting him in good stead out there in the corporate world. And an introductory psychology course, says he, just finished my first assignment, and if it doesn't earn me an A-plus, I don't know what I'm about. And what exactly did it comprise, says I. Well, says he, we were set the task of developing a psychological profile of a culturally important person. Is there a point to that, asked I? To which Jamie replied, sure, it gives you insight into the human psyche, the better to get a leg up on one's business competition. But get this, the professor says whoever we do our paper on, it cannot be someone real. No, it has to be a fictional character. Maybe you should look into an agricultural school, says I, but the boy was adamant that he'd authored a groundbreaking paper, one that would set the academic world alight. Then he says to me, he says, Would you read it on your broadcast? I don't know, says I. At Farm Wisdom, we don't really go in for that kind of egg-headery, but that made Jamie look kind of disappointed, so I says, Tell you what, if ever there comes a day when I haven't much to talk about, I'll devote an episode to your scholarly thesis. How about that? Well, he brightened some, and this next news should make him even happier, because darned if my well hasn't run dry this week. I mean, every topic I planned to address just went bust. For instance, I was going to talk about installing a new sump pump in the cellar, but that whole procedure went just fine, so... No hilarious misadventures there to relate. Then I was going to go with friend Hank and his family to visit the Indian Museum in Zare County. I figured it'd be a laugh riot with old Farmer Gray clashing with some stuffed shirt docent. We'd squabble over whether they should be called redskins, my preference, or indigenous peoples, which you would call more politically correct. Can you imagine the cachinations that would ensue from such a heated debate? But at the last minute, Hank and his loved ones ended up canceling because his daughter Ambrosia had a conflict with her dance recital. Guess I could have gone to that, but nobody had a team of wild horses to drag me there. 
Consequently, I reckon I will read Jamie's psychological paper, and you all can take it for what it's worth. Now, here's the title. It says, uh, it says, kind of a long one here. It's called Psychotic Break and Marital Codependence as Evidenced in the Life of Mrs. Betty Rubble. Hmm, Betty Rubble. Seems he's talking about that cartoon gal that lives in caveman days. Well, for my part, I figured her life was pretty carefree, what with her being basically a two-dimensional drawing, but what do I know? I never went to college. So I'll soldier on, and perhaps this first sentence will explain things some. It says here, it says, Betty, Betty Rubble, wife of Barney, mother of adopted son Bam Bam, would seem to be, to the outside observer, the very picture of domestic contentment. Well, see, that's what I was saying, but this paragraph goes on. As a cursory assessment, however, this is far from a valid approximation, for in reality she is a deep mind bearing a rich vein of psychosis. Okay, Jamie, if that's your point, let's see what else you have to say. It says, this paper will evidence that Betty persists in a state of near-mental collapse as she struggles against the vice-like grip of societal repression. As per a 1975 paper by Barbara Van Shake, Betty Rubble's derived identity has succumbed to discontinuous socialization, leaving her at the low end of the Rosenberg self-esteem scale. This has been compounded by her husband's apparent impotence, as denoted by the fact that, unlike neighbors Fred and Wilma Flintstone, the Rubbles have been unable to conceive a child. Although they did adopt a foundling left on their doorstep, Betty has likely presumed that Barney's erectile dysfunction is engendered by a dearth of attraction, i.e. that she is not sexually desirable. The marriage has additionally been marked by an unhealthy codependency for impotent and unable to assume a perceived adult role in the relationship, Barney has become a childlike entity. As a result, Betty has functioned as parent, her husband's passivity and lack of emotional intelligence only strengthening this dependency and weakening what may have once been a healthy marital bond. Given that a negative correlation exists between codependency and self-esteem, Betty's sense of self-worth has thus endured a fresh assault. One must also take into account De Bartolo and Barlow's study indicating that in wives of men with erectile dysfunction, the multidimensional perfectionism scale falls in relation to the dyadic adjustment score. Perhaps even more important was a Nigerian study which found so-called concubinage to be among the coping strategies for women whose husbands suffer from sexual dysfunction. Thus, it is plausible, and perhaps inevitable, that Betty would have engaged in not one, but multiple extramarital affairs. The most significant of these was with Sylvester Slate, owner of the Slate Rock and Gravel Company, where her neighbor Fred Flintstone was employed. It may seem surprising that an affair would blossom between the two, but Betty sought a strong male for sexual gratification. She likely initially set her sights on the dynamic and physically impressive Fred, whose larger-than-life character was an enticing contrast to her husband's weak demeanor. But loyalty to her friend Wilma, not to mention a lack of opportunity, 
for Fred's evenings were typically occupied with bowling and lodge meetings, drove her into the arms of an even more powerful male. Indeed, if she could not find a lover in Fred, she would seek one in the man to whom he was subservient. The affair lasted just over a year with rendezvous at the Hotel Brick House. It ended only when Betty became aware of Mr. Slate's bisexuality, which, due to the social mores of the time, led her to reject her paramour, and indeed believe herself to be rejected as well. In, in, in response, she plunged into several more illicit encounters, including with Joe Rockhead, Benji Hatrock, and, of course, Scat Von Rocktoven. At the same time, she continued to struggle with her marital role, going so far as to disguise herself as a man in order to penetrate the sanctity of Fred and Barney's all-male sanctuary, the Water Buffalo Lodge. In this way, she further usurped Bernie, Barney's place as husband with a virtual assumption of his spousal role. Far more unsettling, however, has been Betty's mental state, as evidenced in a 2010 study by Avasti and colleagues, non-organic sexual dysfunction in the male is a risk factor for psychiatric symptoms in his spouse. I therefore contend that the physical environment in which Betty believed herself to exist was a delusion induced by a psychotic episode. The strange community in which she found herself, a hybrid of both modern and primitive, suggests that she was truly an average 1960s housewife who only imagined herself to live 100,000 years ago. The alternative explanation is that she truly is a denizen of the Stone Age, living a brutish hunter-gatherer existence, but hallucinating such things as televisions made out of rocks and cars you drive with your feet. She also suffers the ignis fatuus that her adopted son Bam Bam is the strongest baby in the world, able to best even Fred in physical combat. This fulfills her desire for a strong male in the household, one who is, by implication, more sexually potent than Barney. Moreover, the symbolic meaning of the club the boy carries requires no explanation. Betty's only hope for extricating herself from her psychoses and avoiding the eventual implosion of her household is through psychiatric care. Intensive treatment over a series of years with Bedrock's resident therapist, Dr. Stonewall, may allow Betty to regain the self-esteem she has so long denied herself. One can only hope that she sought such care and that she achieved some measure of fulfillment in the later years of whatever era she occupied. Well, folks, that's Jamie's paper. I don't know how much he's paying for this course, but if he's listening, I'm here to tell him that I'll gladly give him lessons for free of charge that are far more valuable than those in which he is currently engaged. Specifically, I mean matriculation into a hands-on class of sowing the land and reaping its harvest. For if he continues on his present track, I see nothing for it but that he'll become Bugs Bunny's accountant or Felix the Cat's financial advisor, and even that's up in the air since the professor ended up giving him a C-. Well, the instructor's probably a Bullwinkle fan. Yes, sir. Play me out, Zeke. <laughs>